The Australian travel sector is teetering on the brink of an uncertain future, with the highly appreciated JobKeeper scheme ending this weekend. By all accounts, the disappearance of the scheme and uncertainty about funding going forward has already led to job losses across the country in recent days, despite the government's apparent newfound enthusiasm for travel agents. But while some lament their imminent demise, others in the industry are putting their best foot forward and looking to a post-COVID world that will definitely look different, but still be full of opportunity. Once again, we've been following it all on your behalf. So let's dig into this week's podcast. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. There's been so much action in the industry. After last week's shock revelations that Qantas would receive funding from the government to enable it to continue a JobKeeper-style payment to about 8,000 stood-down workers. While officials have downplayed suggestions that it is just JobKeeper in another form, the travel and tourism sector is up in arms at the move, with some even suggesting a march on Canberra. What's your reading of the situation, Bruce? Yeah, look, this announcement came out just as we were recording last week's podcast, and to say that the subsequent reaction was enormous is quite an understatement. Uh, You know, the words I would use are white-hot anger, outrage, disbelief, fury, and amongst all that, of course, a sense of utter helplessness. There have been a few interesting developments as a result. Um, Those tireless Western Australian wonder women who run the travel industry lobby group Facebook page immediately mobilised the members of that page to pick up the phone and ring their local MPs in the wake of the announcement. Um, They even published the Canberra Parliamentary Office phone number for Dan Tehan, the tourism minister. And, you know, by all accounts, there were plenty of phone calls made to that office, uh, prompting some interesting reactions, including insistence by some of the officials that the report was incorrect and it's not JobKeeper for Qantas. But, you know, as I say, if it sounds like a duck and quacks like a duck and waddles like a duck, it's probably a duck. Indeed. You'd have to be quackers not to see this as a JobKeeper in sheep's clothing. Sorry, is that mixing metaphors a bit much? So with all that outrage, did the message get through? Uh, Yes, well, I think after all those phone calls, the message definitely did get through, um, as evidenced by a miraculous epiphany by Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Dan Tehan, who both stood up in Parliament on Thursday last week and said how important it was that travel agents should be included in the rollout of the genius 800,000 half-price fares policy. You know, honestly, it was like Paul on the road to Damascus, and I'm surprised ScoMo doesn't have a slip disc after such a backflip. You'd have to remember that when he announced the policy, complete with that, you know, that good-looking pilot's hat from the cockpit of a Qantas A330, he said the half-price fares would be all booked on the airline websites, but now apparently a key design feature of the program is that they'll also be available through travel agents. I'm sure that's news to Qantas and Virgin Australia too. Anyway, apparently Qantas has been talking to some of its industry partners about this, and perhaps we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt, and that we might see something concrete in terms of agents being able to package these fares up. But on the other hand, you've got to remember that Qantas is actually now quite a significant competitor to travel agents with the launch last year of that new Qantas Holidays website after Hello World relinquished that brand. And you can guarantee that Qantas Holidays, all run by Qantas in-house with a fantastic interface, easy to use, they're going to be offering plenty of packages in conjunction with these subsidised fares. So why on earth would they also support the travel industry who are now their direct competitors? It's all very sad and confused. And like many industry, I'm absolutely flabbergasted that it appears that after all the work that everyone's done in communicating with MPs, meetings in Canberra, electorate offices for months and months and months, they still just don't seem to understand our industry at all. And so where does this leave the industry? 
as we seem to ask every week, is there any hope? Yeah, look, there is always hope, but I don't think it's likely it's going to come in the form of a JobKeeper extension for the industry at this late stage. Uh, there was a ham-fisted suggestion by a bloke called Pat Conahan, a Nationals backbencher, last week, who seemed to suggest that the money allocated from the travel agent grants programs, stage one and two, could be repurposed as a top-up for the dole for the industry staff who are out of work. Look, if that's actually what he was proposing, that um, I think the dole is $600 a fortnight, he was proposing that $400 a fortnight come out of the, um, the money allocated to top it up to that $500 a week. But it involved them being on JobSeeker, and that's just so unbelievable because it doesn't support the businesses at all, and it actually you know, pretty much encourages staff to take redundancies because they'd be better off on JobSeeker with that top-up than staying in work. I really hope it's a misunderstanding because after CEO Darren Rudd also appeared to back this ridiculous idea, and that's led a few, few in the industry to really question what the Federation is up to. Uh, we did have a really great opinion piece from Donna Meads Barlow from DBT and I Love Cruising in Travel Daily. She's a travel agent, you know, with a long standing 40 years in the industry, and she's absolutely at her wit's end with no certainty. And like many of us, having to decide whether to dip into her family's retirement savings just to keep trading, and with the likelihood that she's going to have to basically restart the business, you know, as a startup in a new form once the borders open. We had such a lot of feedback from Donna's heartfelt uh, letter, and unfortunately, you know, it reflects the sad reality of the situation. But what about those grants programs? Depending on who's calculating things, there's about $170 million on the table. Surely that will help tide some businesses over. I look, definitely. But unfortunately, given the flaws the first time the scheme was launched, I think everyone's very cautious about making sure that the second round is fairer and not rushed out. And that's really great, but of course very frustrating because at the moment there's no certainty at all. And I know that there are heaps of businesses which are making decisions about putting staff off right now because they just don't know where they're going to get money or you know, if, if they're going to get any money or how much from the next round. Unfortunately, my information is also that that second round is going to be a little bit delayed. Apparently, Services Australia needs to resolve all of the appeals from that first round, and there's heaps of them. Um, before they can start the second round. So it's unlikely that we're even going to be able to apply for the second round until late next month or even early May. So we're not going to get any more certainty for a little while yet. And so what does this say about the industry's lobbying efforts? Where do we go from here? Oh, yeah, look, it definitely shows the power of the aviation industry, which, unlike travel and tourism, speaks with one voice and is a really well-oiled machine. But, of course, that's what you'd expect. They've been doing it for years. You know, they've, they've always had to lobby in Canberra, particularly on international, in terms of aviation rights. Um, you know, or it's a highly regulated industry, whereas travel has always been pretty happy not to bother politicians and just get on with things. As I mentioned in Travel Bulletin a couple of months ago, I think we do need a Travel Industry Council of Australia bringing all of the voices together, because at the moment we are so fragmented. Where do we go from here? Well, after Cato... ATEC and so forth are all working together with Austrade, in theory together, on the criteria for the new grants program and how this additional $130 million is going to be allocated. But quite disturbingly, over the last few days, we've seen some rhetoric, particularly from AFTA, that it's pursuing its own individual agenda rather than wanting to come to consensus with the other organisations. I find that pretty disturbing, in my opinion. In amongst all that negativity... 
Some suppliers are rising above it all and are on the front foot in terms of re-engaging with the industry. A coalition including Club Med, Norwegian Cruise Line and the Globus family of brands has announced a national series of reset, reboot and regroup gatherings which will roll out from next month. What's behind this move, Bruce? Yeah, these are three non-competing complementary brands and they're really showing some significant leadership with this initiative. It's very unusual because... You know, in the boom times, you wouldn't see these individual companies doing anything, you know, apart from on their own, because they want to hold on pretty tightly to the loyalty of their top producing travel agent partners. But, you know, now they've decided on this unique, united approach, and it is so refreshing. Of course, it's also cost effective in these straightened COVID-19 times, um, because by combining the resources, they can do so much more. So they're going to run 17 events in six states, um, and I'm sure there's the possibility of even more if they work out. Huh, interesting. So who are they inviting to these roadshows? Yeah, it's very much about engaging with the industry. Of course, the question on every supplier's lips at the moment, particularly with all the angst around the end of JobKeeper, is actually who's going to be around after this is all over. In my opinion, there's absolutely no doubt there's going to be heaps of travel agents around and they've got clients who will still want to buy through them. And so you've just got to really praise the initiative of these forward-looking leaders, Rachel Harding from Club Med, Peter Douglas from the Globus family of brands and Norwegian's Damien Borg, they've had the guts to get out there and make this happen. Through this process, I'm sure they will discover who is still engaged in the industry. And they also reckon there's plenty of cross-selling opportunities. The same client will buy something, you know, perhaps from two or three of their brands. And also part of it is that they're wanting to stress their respective strengths, um, you know, their financial backing, etc., and their good reputation feeding off each other, because clearly the track record and stability of suppliers is going to be something that's very important to consumers and travel agents in a post-COVID world. It's also pretty timely. I know that they were hesitant about doing it around the time of the end of JobKeeper, but the concept is that it's a control-alt-delete, reset on 2020, starting the new year, going forward with a fresh mindset. Sounds great. So good to have some positivity for a change. Well, Rachel, Damien and Peter, on behalf of Travel Daily News on the Fly, we salute you. Do you have something to say? News on the Fly has started a hotline where you can share your point of view and it may be featured on the podcast. Send us a short voice memo via WhatsApp at plus 612-800-76760 to share your thought and keep listening to news on the fly to see if your voice is featured. Check the show notes for a link to the hotline and we hope to hear from you soon. Despite the Australian and New Zealand cruise industries remaining in the doldrums, there's been significant progress towards a restart of operations, at least in a limited form, in several other parts of the world this week. Can you give us a summary of this good news, Bruce? Yeah, the big news has been from the UK, where the government has recognised that it is going to be possible to run domestic cruises safely, in their opinion. And of course, the UK is reasonably well advanced on its vaccination program. They're currently not allowed to travel internationally. There's a ban which I think expires on the 17th of May, but with waves of infection in, in Europe, particularly southern Italy, other parts of the world, um, it's looking possible that that ban on outbound holiday travel might be extended. But rather than locking people in, they're at least providing this other option of cruising. Of course, under strict protocols, but it is really good news. And have cruise lines taken up this opportunity? 
Oh, yeah. Look, absolutely in a massive way. Um, look, the big news last week was that Viking is reactivating one of its ocean ships to operate British coastal cruisers. Um, if you remember, they've uh, got a full PCR laboratory on the ship, and so they're doing daily testing. But of course, all the other various British carnival brands, Cunard, p UK, and in the last day or so, Princess, they've also uh, put their hat in the ring. You've got MSC Cruisers, who've already got a good track record because they've been operating in Italy. Uh, Fred Olsen. Of course, all of these are only domestic itineraries with UK residents. It's unclear how shore excursions are going to operate, but it's a big step forward. And of course, an opportunity also for these long-suffering cruise lines to get a bit of revenue. It's going to show the rest of the world what can be done. And particularly, you know, let's hope, as is very likely, they will be operating very safely with no major outbreaks and that they'll be able to, you know, they'll have protocols in place to manage any cases that do arise showing the way forward for the rest of the industry right across the globe. Mm, And what about elsewhere? I believe there's also some limited resumptions happening in North America. Yeah, look, we've still got the US Centers for Disease Control sitting on its hand. I think it's about four months since they put out any sort of further guidance, um, and the industry is absolutely waiting with bated breath on what they're going to have to do in order to restart cruises safely. And, you know, they're already jumping through all of the hoops. But anyway, in the meantime, some other cruise nations, um, basically in the Caribbean, who are obviously dependent on cruise tourism, have taken the initiative and welcoming the restart. And so we've seen Royal Caribbean, Celebrity and Crystal all announce limited restarts from various Caribbean nations, of course, under strict protocols. UnCruise Adventures, the small ship operator that's based in uh, Seattle, I think, um, they've announced an Alaska program for vaccinated passengers. The vaccination program is highly advanced in Alaska. So that's, again, sort of a domestic solution, but, you know, really good news. We've also got Star Cruises, uh, part of Genting Hong Kong, restarting in Malaysia alongside its existing Dream Cruises operations in Singapore, where Royal Caribbean is also operating Quantum of the Seas. The vaccine is definitely a game changer. So these situations can only improve. So chin up everyone. And again, any success with these restarts is going to be a great example for the rest of the world, particularly in contrast to some of those early hiccups where we saw outbreaks on some of those um, lines that did you know, make attempts to restart in the middle of last year. We have learned such a lot since then. Um, these resumptions, some of them are with very big ships. So it's really going to be great to see how it goes and hopefully we can push our local politicians forward a little bit in terms of making a decision about domestic cruising here too. And finally, in last week's podcast, we were starting to get excited about the prospect of a travel bubble with New Zealand. However, after a huge amount of anticipation about a government cabinet meeting on Monday, which included discussions about that plan, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern only made an announcement about an announcement. What's the story with all that? Yes, as you say, it's an announcement about an announcement. And the disappointment on both sides of the Tasman was absolutely palpable. Um, the New Zealand government just appears to be so risk-averse, despite the absolute collapse in its economy, uh, which is so dependent on tourism. There were some quite positive stories, and we even noted that GDS systems had seen a whole lot of extra capacity, up to five flights a day, loaded by Air New Zealand in mid-April. Interestingly, they were triple seven flights, some of them, which um, the whole triple seven fleet is grounded. So, you know, maybe that was a little bit optimistic. But anyway, after all that, Jacinda came out of her meeting and just announced that the government expects to make an announcement about a possible decision about borders on the 6th of April. I've got no idea why they need another two weeks to think about it. Um, it very much reminds me of some of the nutty 
reasoning behind our local state premiers in some cases when borders were going up and down like crazy. Look, hopefully domestically we're past all that. And of course the New Zealand travel industry, which has been doing it extremely tough, was also hugely disappointed. Anyway, unfortunately an announcement about an announcement is all we're getting at the moment. And all we can say is perhaps even that is better than nothing. Yes, indeed. We hasten slowly with fingers crossed and bated breath. Well, that's all we have time for, podcasters. As always, thank you for listening. If you'd like to support News on the Fly, you can do that by pressing the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or following the podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen. To stay up to date throughout the week, be sure to read Travel Daily and Cruise Weekly. And we'll be back to wrap it all up next week with more News on the Fly.